0: Well, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is page 811 in our church Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and while you are turning there, let me just give you a few numbers from yesterday. So we had, as a final count, 740 uh, meals served, so That's the indication of the number of people on the property yesterday. There were over 100 volunteers that um, served to make that happen. So um, God bless you, those of you who gave, who served, who prayed, who attended. And um, it's just a tremendous work. It is a team effort, no doubt about it. And it is always one of my happiest moments, to be honest with you, (laughs) as weird as this might sound, when people are setting up and cleaning up for the pig roast, because that's typically the hardest times, and people just gave it a good go, and it was... Um, it was actually pretty easy to do because of that. There were a tremendous number of uh, gospel-centered conversations. You might have seen some of that happen. I was able to talk to quite a few people about Jesus. I prayed with a couple of people. So just keep that in mind as you're praying throughout the course of the week. I just heard another couple of good things just about the, um, the way the outsider viewed Jesus Christ in this context. And, and I hope you know that. That's the reason why we do this, to get them to know Christ, for Christ to come and save them. And Romans 10, you know, how, how can they um, be saved that they don't hear? And how can they hear if someone doesn't preach? And so you guys preached in your work. I preached with words. We preached in song. We preached in service. So just keep that in mind. And I think that's probably why Jesus loved the crowds, right? Because he wanted to save them. So we met people that we more than likely won't meet and yet now we have some contact with them in some meaningful way. So just keep that in mind and, and actually pay attention through the course of your week when you're out and about. You might see these people again and they might say pig and, and there you go. You have an opportunity to speak with them. So, okay. Let's read from verse 19 to the end of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Amen. Thanks be to God. His word. Let's take a moment, please, just a brief moment of silence, and then we'll pray and ask God for his help. Well, Father, we do pray as our Bibles are open that the Spirit of God will be our teacher, that through the words of a mere man we might hear from you, the living God. Please give us the grace to be humble and attentive in the things that we're going to learn this morning in order that you might train us up and what it means to live before you rightly. And this is our great need, Father. This is our prayer. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to resume our studies in 1 Corinthians 9. We're coming off the coattails of last Sunday's um, sermon from Matthew chapter 9 about Jesus and the crowds in personal evangelism. So this section in 1 Corinthians will call for us, I think, to spend the next three weeks to focus uh, primarily on soul winning, winning people to Jesus Christ. And did you notice in just the first four verses that I read, Paul said at least six times to win some, to win, to win, to win. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus most of our attention, believe it or not, on verse 19. And then towards the end of our talk, we're going to take a broad view of the whole chapter in a way I think is going to make sense to you. And while we're doing that, I want you to please consider these things. First thing I want you to consider is how I personally think this is going to be a watershed moment in the life of this church. I think we had such a moment in 1 Corinthians when we were looking through homosexuality and the issues there. And what we're going to find out from God through the pen of Paul is the exact nature of effective, and that's the key word, effective personal evangelism. So that when we get through this, there will be no doubt how the Christian is to function in this realm if we are going to win souls. Secondly, this is not going to be, uh, here are a few tips for you to try uh to use when you're speaking to others about Jesus Christ's sermon. We might get to that, but not purposely. We're going to keep our nose, if you would, in the Bible. We're going to use God's wisdom. And we're going to learn from Paul, and this is awfully important. We're going to learn how Paul's self-surrender and the voluntary loss of his freedom, in that he was willing to surrender three of men and women's most jealously guarded treasures. And here they are. Financial gain personal independence, and physical indulgence. Paul was willing to toss all those aside for the sake of the gospel. That's how precious the gospel was to Paul. It was the priority in his life. Everything that he did was under the heading, if you would, for the sake of the gospel. His liberties, his luxuries, all his bodily ease were all restricted. And that is the key. That is the key for, and here it is again, for effective effective Christian evangelism in seeing people one to Christ. So to put it more simply, we're going to discover that the Christian themselves nor the church, it cannot organize their life simply for either its own survival or its own convenience or its own ease, its own personal taste and its own personal pleasures clinging to every one of their freedoms. They can't do that. And we know that is hard to do in America. But if we do that, then that is an, a recipe for ineffectiveness, for dullness. It's dead religion, and it's frankly sin. And so you'll forgive me, but by, by and large, and I think you know this, that, that popular Christianity tends to lend itself to get us, if you would, hooked into it by, by saying, you know what, do you want freedom? Do you want the real life? Then this is what you need to do. You need to set this aside and and have that much over there and have a few of those waiting for you and make sure you do that and make sure you have this and use your freedom and there you go. The song, uh, you're free to do what you want any old time. And Paul would say, no, no. Thirdly, we're going to learn how Paul would remove every one of his personal freedoms which might lead to personal offense to others in order that the only offense before people would be the offense of the gospel. Okay? So everything about Paul that was secondary, that he could lose, he put it aside so that the only offense before people was the gospel. So, if you would, Paul didn't come in with all guns blazing, telling how he's this political party, and this is what he believes about this, and this is what his view on taxes are, and this is what his view about this is. No. He set it aside so that the only offense there was, was the offense of the gospel. Okay. Now, if you had to kind of zip that introduction up, If you look at your Bibles in chapter 10, verse 31, this is in essence what Paul is saying. I'm just going to read to you all the way to verse 1. And by the way, if you have the NIV Bible and you see the chapter break before chapter 10 and verse 1, that might be the worst chapter break ever, but I wish they would have kept it going. But anyway, listen to your Bible, chapter 10, verse 31. This is Paul's thought. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. And so you stop and you say, why, Paul, why are you doing that? Well, there it is, so that they may be saved. And then he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ, okay? Follow me as I'm following Jesus, So with all that by way of introduction, what we're going to do is we're going to understand our freedom and how our freedom is lost then for the sake of the gospel. So the first point I have, you can see this in your notes, is a freedom that is real. That's verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win, there it is again, to win as many as possible. You see, Paul knows that true Christian freedom begins with what we are free for and not what we're free from, okay? The Christian's true freedom is freedom to be our true self, which is what God created us to be. Now, God alone knows true freedom because God is always his true self. God never denies his nature. However, the Christian may only know true freedom, now pay attention, when we fulfill God's purpose for us? In other words, why did God make us? Why were we created? And once we have the answer to that question, then that is the first step to a healthy sense of self. It is the first step to a sense of peace. God created the Christian free for God's purposes and free for God's will, which is the only hope of lasting peace and self-wellness. So that's why, you know, the self-help books like body, bucks, brain, stuff, it's just placebo. It tells you to focus on you and you'll get better. It's placebo. God's purpose for us, why God made us, is namely this, to love God and to love others. To love God and love others as the Bible defines it and the way the Bible chiefly defines it is to win people, win people to him. And so that's the only right answer then to the big question, why am I here? What is my purpose? Love God, love others for the sake of the gospel. Everything else is, is centered on the self or self-centeredness. And that is not true liberty. That is bondage. To choose yourself first and best in everything, that is a sugary high. And yeah, you know, it might give you a sense for a moment of kind of feel-good power. But then when you let it play out, just like sugar... It leaves us only empty to seek out the next great thing that spikes our emotions or spikes our sense of power again. You see, the novelties of this world and the novelties of dead religion and self-help are all um, matters. Well, what they're basically what they are is this: they're 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 fresh charms that are sprinkled over old sins that are spread out to appear like a good for you buffet. But they're actually dated leftovers. And if you eat them, they'll eventually make you sick. And if you're not careful, they'll destroy you. Therefore, the Christian liberty is true freedom. The freedom to finally be God's child and to live under God's fatherhood. And that means true Christian freedom is then standing always uncondemned before God, right? Because it's impossible to be a child of God if we're still under the judgment of God. I am not free to be what God created me to be as his child if I'm not set free from sin and guilt. In other words, there's no true freedom without the forgiveness of sin. Those of you who have friends that are not Christians, you need to tell them that. Once the son sets you free, then what did he say? You're free indeed. Well, how did that happen? Did you get new stuff? Did you change stuff? No. Jesus Christ forgave me of my sins. That's how my freedom was secured. So we have a freedom then the bondage to the self. And we have a freedom for God. Now what about Christian freedom before men? Right? Well, again, look at your Bible, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So in one sense, Paul says, I am free from all men. In another sense, he says, I voluntarily make myself their slave. He's free from men because he understands his final and ultimate responsibility is not to them, but to God. And yet, at the same time, and this is what is so striking, at the same time, he makes himself their slave. He becomes the personal servant of all men because he's called to do that by his Father in heaven. Because he's been created to live like that. That is true life. God says that. That's true freedom. To live for God and to live for man for the sake of the gospel. Freedom. Live for God, live for man for the sake of the gospel. So Paul has his freedom, yet he will lose his freedom and wants to know that he has his freedom all at the same time. Now that might make your head spin. Stevie Wonder has a song, um, Isn't She Lovely? But as you think about that, isn't that lovely? It's beautiful. I am free, but at the same time, I'm a slave. I'm not a slave to the dominating thoughts of society, but I am a slave to men. I'm free. Why am I so free? Verse 19, to win as many as possible. Why do you make yourself a slave to everyone, Paul? To win as many as possible. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few examples. This will probably be the worst, but it's the first one I thought of. So some of you know that I absolutely love flashlights. Okay, so let's say, just for example, that my wife doesn't like flashlights. My freedom to love and purchase flashlights is a real freedom. I can go home and look her square in the eye and say, you know what? I can get a flashlight anytime I want. Okay? But I voluntarily lose my freedoms, no flashlights, for the sake of the better thing. Namely, to, to please her, to keep peace, and to win over my lovely wife. In other words, I have my freedom to flashlights, but I would gladly lose my freedom for flashlights for the greater good. So in a phrase, Christian freedom is freedom from men, and at the same time, freedom for men and for God. Why? Well, to do God's revealed will. Well, what is that? What is God's revealed will? What is my purpose on this earth? And by the way, our purpose is essentially the same. Verse 19, although I'm free, yet for the sake of the gospel, I chunk that freedom to win as many as possible. And that takes us to our second phrase of freedom, which is illustrated. Now, the two best examples of Christian freedom is, of course, Paul in chapter nine, but Jesus Christ in, is in the gospels. So let's begin with Jesus, he's first and best, and look at Jesus and how he used freedom, and then we'll look at Paul. Well, as you think about Jesus, you know and I know that he enjoyed freedom for his father to be what his father wanted him to be. Jesus Christ lived in perfect freedom when he walked this earth. He said a few times, you can read this in John's Gospel, I always do what my father wants me to do. Jesus lived freely because he was living for God. And because Jesus in the days of his flesh was completely free for God, he was completely, pay attention, free from men. So Jesus wasn't tied to the the dead religious might of his day. And Jesus was especially free from that mess in two areas. One from their traditions and the other from their conventions. So for example, when it comes to the traditions, Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, okay, dead tradition, eye for an eye. Jesus said, okay, but I say to you. So Jesus took the teachings of that day, which were dead traditions, tossed them, and he took the law of God, the law of Moses, the word of God, and said, this is what God says. This is what God says. On another occasion, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you make void God's word by your tradition. The traditions they had were heavy burdens. Matthew 23, 2. They were hard to bear. These were the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were not free. And as you think about the Pharisees. Now stay with me. As you think about them. It's no wonder that when you read the gospels. These guys were wound so tight. The slightest thing went wrong. The slightest thing didn't go their way. They exploded in anger. They were married to their money. They wanted to murder Jesus. And they had this weird affinity, okay? They, they loved the applause of men. At the same time, they were afraid of men. And at the same time, they wanted to rule over men. Try to live like that. Afraid, love, rule over. But Jesus Christ refused to be bound by any human tradition. He was determined to be free for God's word, uh, God's revelation from scripture. Jesus, if you would, was tied to the text. And and so in order to be free for God's word, he freed himself from the traditions of men. Just one more example. I don't need to belabor the point. Sabbath. Jesus never broke the word of God on the Sabbath. He never skipped over the Sabbath. He did break the traditions of men and women that had been wrapped around the Sabbath. Remember the story? You can't go into that field and you can't pick grain. You're breaking the law. No, you're not. You're breaking Jesus, a dead tradition, which is useless. And so what Jesus does is he takes God's word and he actually, by using God's word, shows how you can do what he was doing. And that actually Jesus was fulfilling the Sabbath by doing what he was doing. He wasn't breaking it. Okay, that is Jesus' freedom from tradition. Okay, what about freedoms, uh, his freedom from social convention, right? The social norms of his day. Well, Jesus was the most unconventional man there was. Jesus was free to do what none of his peers dared to do. He was free to talk to a woman in public, which simply wasn't done at that time. He was free to teach women directly. Remember Mary and Martha at his feet, which also wasn't done. He could talk to tax collectors and prostitutes and leopards, all kinds of people, all kinds of people with which the social convention of the religious might of his day said, a good godly person would not dare to be in that crowd. And Jesus would not restrict himself to that. That was a lie. That was a lie. And the Pharisees even called Jesus names for his unconventional behavior. But again, Jesus did not care about the opinions of men. He was free from that because he was free for God. He was free to do God's word. However, and listen carefully being free from the opinions of others did not mean that Jesus did not serve others. That's the paradox. While he was free from them, he willingly would become their servant. And because God loves all men and women with no discrimination whatsoever, Jesus did that, which is why Jesus came into the world. He came to save sinners. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that can be very liberating for some of us who are tied to the opinions of others. We're always worried about what others will think about us, what others will say about us. They become our tyrants. That's bondage. Who can live that way? Honestly. And pastors, sometimes, to be honest with we you, we're the worst at this stuff. Like, oh, I hope I did this right. Oh, I hope I did it right. Oh, I better do that right. You can't live that way. No one can. Well, that was Jesus. So, before we move to Paul, I want you to remember this, because if we don't remember this, again, we'll misuse our, and, or misunderstand our Christian freedom. The freedom that Jesus enjoyed and used wasn't so that Jesus could, you know, strut his stuff and flaunt his freedom. It wasn't so that Jesus could say, chill to the rest of the world, you know, spread his wings and say, deal with me. No, you see, all Jesus' freedom served a purpose. And what do you think that purpose was? To give his life as a ransom for people like me. Now, are you with me? He had a freedom. He was free from the traditions of the past. He was free from social conventions of the present. However, his freedom then was in submission to his father's will, which was what? We have absolute clarity here, being no doubt about this. Jesus, why were you a slave to men and women? To win them, to give my life for them, for the sake of the gospel, so there even be a gospel to enjoy and serve and proclaim to other people. And that freedom that Jesus has is part of our freedom too. So so for us to be free, it's not to only think and choose as we please. That's bondage. That is bondage. The Christian is like Jesus. He's under God's word. We are, we are children under the authority of our King. So in becoming a slave to God, yes, the Christian is truly free. Oh, yes, we are. But we again, verse 19, do you see it there? We make ourselves a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, I want you to understand this. This means that the Christian life is far beyond a flat moral life. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, this is, this is a life with no gospel power, being morally good, doing morally good, um, read the Bible, pray morally, 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 but with no gospel intentions, no gospel power. See, that's that. Uh, The New Atheists have this book. I think it's by Richard Dawkins. Can man be good without God? That's the question they're trying to present before us. The atheists, can man be good without God? This is the answer. You ready? Yes, man can be good without God, but they just can't be good enough because they need someone else's righteousness when they stand before God. Do you understand? That's why the gospel is so important. So flat morality, be good, do good, It is no good. It is no good unless it's tied to the gospel. It's tied to do and live in a way for the sake of the gospel. So yeah, we're not held by dead tradition and we're not being troubled anymore by social convention. At least we don't have to be. But now the Christian is free to become what God made us to be. God, why did you put me on this earth? To love you And to love my fellow man and to do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's living. That's living. That's just like Jesus, right? And Jesus was the freest and best man who ever walked this earth. Third point, a freedom which is voluntarily lost. Okay, so we've been kind of beating this drum for a while. But what we need to do now is see how it really played out in the life of Paul. Right, Paul who said, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. So when you think about Paul, then you think about this. He endured great physical and mental suffering because of the gospel, just like his master. He was often criticized. Men said of him, as they said of Jesus, that he was mad. Paul was despised and rejected by men, just like his master. He was flogged, just like his master. He was struck, just like his master. He was spat on, unjustly arrested, imprisoned, tried, condemned, and executed, just like his master. But at the same time, just like his master, Paul enjoyed freedom from men. Because to be very, very clear, Paul's freedom was derived from the lordship of Christ. Why could he take all that stuff on? Well, because for Paul... Jesus was Lord. This might be interesting to some of you. The phrase in Christ is a phrase that Paul uses more than any other phrase about Jesus in the New Testament. But you know what the second phrase that he uses? The second most used phrase is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The King Jesus Christ. The Master Jesus Christ. If you would, my boss Jesus Christ. Jesus was Paul's Redeemer, his master, and his judge. And Paul knew that he would one day have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he'd have to give an account of his life and his ministry. That's that prize language. You see it there in verses 20 to 27? I want to win the prize. That's what Paul's saying. I want to win the prize. So because Paul wanted to win the prize, he would not be tied to himself. He would not be tied to men. He would not be tied to try to win the the favor of men, or try to curry their favor, but this made Paul a voluntary, voluntarily a slave to men. And so you say, Paul, why did you do that? Same answer, all for the sake of the gospel. That's the divine paradox, isn't it? Paul would say, I am a free man, servant to none but Jesus Christ. But at the same time, he would say, but I am a slave to all because of Jesus Christ. Just give you one example, Galatians 1, Paul's defending his gospel. Some people are questioning it. Paul says, I got my gospel from God. And then he says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? Okay, if I'm trying to please people, okay, I'll change my gospel to their taste. Paul says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be the slave of Christ. And you see, that is Paul exactly. Paul then understood that the Ultimately, his message, his ministry is responsible to Jesus Christ alone. Jesus was Paul's final judge. Men might reject him. They might ridicule him. They might try to coax him into changing the message to their taste. But Paul would not change the word of God to suit the times or the taste. Paul would say, I have only one king. And that's the king of kings. But here we are again. The same paradox. Even though that's true, I will serve my fellow man. I will become their slaves. I'll change everything that needs to be changed, changed about me for the sake of the gospel. Now, sometimes when I'm in my office and I'm thinking these things through, I just have these little they're like little plays in my head. Let me just give you two of them. God to Jesus. My son, though you're the third person of the Trinity, though you and I are equal in glory and authority and power, will you voluntarily stoop yourself into this world? Will you become this world's slave? Will you empty yourself and die for the sins of the world? Yes, Father. I always do what you want me to do. Now then, take Jesus to Paul. Paul, though you are a free man and you belong to no man... Will you be their servant? Will you go and make yourself their slave for the sake of the gospel to win some, to to finally win some? Do you know what that's like to win people to Christ? Will you do that, Paul? Yes, master. I'll do what you command. And at the heart of that is what? The gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Which takes us then to our final point, And we're just going to spend our last few moments. A freedom which is real, right? But tossed for the sake of the gospel. A freedom which is illustrated, but again, the cross is the key. Christ tosses his freedom for the sake of the gospel. A freedom which is voluntarily lost. Paul preaching the cross and arranges his life all for the sake of the gospel. And then finally, a loss which has eternal reward. So now we get to see, okay, Paul, how do you bring this down into life, real life, right? Because this can't just be fluffy talk, right? Here's your pastor saying all this stuff. What am I doing when I leave the pulpit, right? So what Paul would do often is he would put himself forward as an illustration and he would say, this is what I do. So Paul, if we ask Paul, Paul, how do you flesh this out? How do you flesh out the loss of your freedom for the sake of the gospel? Well, this is what Paul would say. And I want you to look at your Bible, please. Paul was willing to curtail all his freedoms for the sake of the gospel and it came down to at least three in terms of financial gain that's verses seven through eighteen. so for the sake of the gospel he would do away with financial gain in matters of personal independence verses nineteen to twenty three and in matters of physical indulgence. Verses 24 to 27. So think with me as you look at your Bibles in terms of financial gain. As an apostle, uh, verse 14, Paul had a right to earn his living from the gospel. Jesus commanded this. That's Matthew 10.10. And then verse 7, we learn human custom taught that, right? Soldiers, farmers, shepherds, they all get paid, Divine revelation revealed it. Verses 8 through 14. It's in the law and the priest and Jesus himself. Those who may uh, serve the gospel should make their living from the gospel. So he had his rights. Then you come to verse 12. Do you see it there? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Okay, why, Paul? Why did you not use your right? Most people, when they have rights, they insist upon them. They stand on them. and In fact, they agitate for them. Paul, why are you surrendering, surrendering your rights? There's only one answer for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 12. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul won't take money as an apostle from all the churches to hinder their work. That's what he's saying there. And so there's a principle that he's laying down that should be very, very clear to us. And it's this. When the advancement of the gospel and personal financial gain are in competition with each other, the gospel always takes precedent. That's Paul's example. I'll say that again. When the advancement of the gospel and personal financial gain are in competition with each other, the gospel always takes precedent. So we should ask ourselves as individuals, what's more important to us? The spread of the gospel in Itasca County at our expense or the advancement of of our wealth at the gospel's expense. Again, the spread of the gospel in Itasca County at our expense or the advancement of our wealth at the gospel's expense. Now that's hard, isn't it? This is kind of creepy, but the first song that popped in my head after I wrote that down, it's by the fabulous Thunderbirds. I'm gonna baptize what they said. They said in their song, how do you spell love? And then they say, M-O-N-E-Y. Now, you know what? Paul would say, yeah. I mean, that's when it becomes real, right? How do you spell love? Well, partly M O N E Y for the G O S P E L. Secondly, verses 19 to 23, he surrenders his personal independence for the sake of the gospel. Now, we're going to cover this in more detail detail next time, but this is what we need to know. That all Paul's personal independence, all his personal freedoms, he loses for the sake of the gospel. So he gives his life seeking the highest good for others. Right? The highest good. What's the highest good for our fellow man? That they know Jesus. And everything about Paul's taste, his positions, his needs, his thoughts on non-essentials, he tosses them. And he bends his will to the will of man without changing the message, without changing the outcome for the will of God, and again, for the sake of the gospel. That's Paul. He bends his will to the will of man, for the will of God, for the sake of the gospel. And finally, finally, for the sake of the gospel, Paul loses financial rights, personal independence, and then physical indulgence. That's verses 24 to the end of the chapter. But do you see verse 26? Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. Now, some of you might remember this. This was before my time, but I I remember this phrase. There was a phrase. In fact, if you know this phrase, after church, come and tell me that. Hey, I remember that phrase. It was called gospel holiness. Okay, gospel holiness. And what gospel holiness means is essentially this. That personal holiness and gospel holiness are the same. You can't have personal holiness without gospel holiness, because your personal holiness will be directly tied to your victories and personal evangelism, okay? Our personal holiness will be directly tied to our victories and personal evangelism, which takes us right back to that flat moral life. It's no good. Just to be good for goodness sakes is no good just to be good so people won't talk about us. No good just to be good so that we'll shine out like, wow, look at them, they are terrific. No, it's not good if it's not tied to the gospel. Right? If it's not tied to the gospel. Personal holiness and personal evangelism are inseparable. They are both evidences of the life-changing power of Christ in the Christian's life. And so we go back to where we began. Paul was willing to voluntarily lose his freedom and three of man's most guarded, jealous, jealously treasures, financial gain, personal independence, and physical indulgence, all for the sake of the gospel. And then he tells us, follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. So now we're talking about Jesus. This is how Jesus lived. And Paul said, this is how I'm going to live. And Paul says, follow my example. So we're just about done. What's a biblical Christian? A biblical, biblical Christian is devoted to the gospel. They believe the gospel. They, they rely on the gospel. They love the gospel. Uh, it's good news from God. They honor the gospel. They arrange their life for the gospel. And everything in the church they tend to, with no apology at all, is structured for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes you hear people, when you ask them the question, hey, how's it going? Or how are you? People nowadays say, man, I'm living the dream. It's kind of a cool (laughs) phrase, isn't it? I'm living the dream. If we would talk to Paul or we would talk to Jesus and we'd say, with all respect, how are you? They would say, man, I am living for God's will. I am living for others, all for the sake of the gospel. That's life. That's life. Life lived for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together and pray. Well, Father, surely we are a weak and forgetful people. And Jesus, we thank you so much for holding fast to the gospel. You held it in your living. You held it in your dying. You're always obeying your father. You're always setting your life towards your death. And we thank you that you never forgot your mission and you never resisted your calling. Will you please then, Holy Spirit, those of us who need your help this morning, would you please produce in us a growing gospel life? that we may live for Christ, in Christ. Make Jesus our best love. May we follow him, may we conform to him, obey him all for the sake of his gospel and give us such a rich, true love for people in our context that we would look at them as Jesus saw them with compassionate eyes in order that by your mighty power, we might win them to a saving faith. Father, thank you for hearing our cry, and may your love and the grace of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us today, both now and forevermore, amen.